We're going to start out in Acts chapter 8 tonight. We're going to go back to our study in the book of Acts, but going to do it on Sunday nights instead. And then Wednesday nights, going to continue on with our study of the end times or eschatology, the study of last things. Keep doing that on Wednesday night, Lord willing. And Lord willing, Jesus will come back before we finish that <laughs> series. But we've done two parts, and we'll probably do six more, something like that. And uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, pick up right there. And this is the preaching in Samaria and the revival in Samaria, really. And we're going to uh, deal with the theme tonight of true and false conversion. True and false conversion, see if we can't get down to verse uh, 25. So I'm going to try to make this on Wednesday night, sort of like teach preaching, something like that. And uh, you pray for me as we go through this. We've been talking about how this is a transitional book and how things are changing in this book, just like the book of Matthew. Matthew was a transitional book, transitioning from the Old Testament, from the Jews, and then to the church. Uh, The book of Acts is a transitional book. It's transitioning from the Jews and to the church. And the book of Hebrews is a transitional book. It's transitioning from what God was doing with the church back to the Jews. And so a lot of times people get messed up in these three books, either Matthew, the book of Acts, or the book of Hebrews. So we're going to note some of those changes that are happening, some of those transitions, and we're going to see one of those real clear tonight. Let's go ahead and read just a few verses. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. This is upon the persecution of Stephen. And those who were scattered everywhere, we noted last time, they're men and women. Men and women are going out preaching the gospel. And it wasn't the apostles, verse 1, at the very end there, that everybody was scattered because of the persecution except the apostles. You see that at the end of verse 1? So somebody said, I think it's the preacher's job to evangelize the lost. Uh Uh-uh. Not according to Scripture. We all have a responsibility to just be signs pointing people to Jesus and be a witness of His resurrection. So they they went everywhere. Men and women preaching the Word. Uh, That is the Gospel. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto these, those things, excuse me, which Pilate, excuse me again, which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice. That's a fulfillment of Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus said that those who believe will cast out devils. Crying with loud voice, come out of uh, many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame, were healed. I think I better end my reading there. I'm struggling through it. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for God's help. Dear Lord, we thank you for another time to get together tonight. We thank you for the Word of God. I was just looking forward to getting back into the Bible uh, again today, and I'm thankful, Lord. It's a great privilege. Um, But God, I really have nothing to say of myself. We want to hear from you tonight. We want to hear from your Word. And so, Lord, I pray that you just impress your Word upon our hearts. And I do pray, uh, blessed Holy Spirit, that you would speak 
to our hearts, to our minds, and that you would uh, do your work of sanctifying us and making us more like our Savior and our friend, the Lord Jesus. Help us to exalt Jesus Christ, that he may be worshipped and adored uh, through our lives, through this church. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work in this church, that the winds of God would blow in this place, and that we'd have a real revival of the saints, Lord, and that you'd be pleased by what you see going on here. And, and we pray all of these things tonight in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so as we look at this, we see that uh, Christianity is spreading now, <clears throat> and it's spreading from where it started in Jerusalem, and it's going into Judea and into Samaria. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 8, that's what the Lord told him to do. Back in chapter 1 and uh, verse 8, it says there, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So we studied the day of Pentecost. We studied the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And uh, the power that came along with the day of Pentecost. And ye shall be witnesses. That power is for the purpose of giving us the courage and the ability to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And he says, be a witness in Jerusalem. That's where it starts. City of Jerusalem. And in all Judea, the surrounding area. And in Samaria, that's heading north now. Heading north from Jerusalem in Samaria. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. They went from Jerusalem, Judea, the surrounding area, heavy Jewish population, much persecution there, to Samaria, they are half-breed Jews that are not pure-blood Jews, and they're discriminated against. And then they went further north to Antioch, and that was the base for world missions. Missionaries went out of that church. It's a missionary church. It's a place where they copied the scriptures. It's a place where the pure... A line of manuscripts come from the received text or the Textus Receptus from which we get our King James Bible all came from the Christians in Antioch. It is the place where we were first called Christians. Acts chapter 11 was Antioch. And so we see this progression of the gospel, but now we're going up to Samaria. And the Lord sends Philip. You remember Philip? He was one of those uh, men who were called to be a, a deacon. And the Lord also called him to preach and gave him a gift to be able to preach the gospel and explain that to sinners and to see sinners converted and turned to Christ. So he went down to that city of Samaria. He was preaching Christ unto them. There was a great revival there. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Now the power was not in the man. The power was in the message, right? Now, it's true that the man and the message should be one. There should not be a contradiction between the man and the message. In other words, the man should be the message. God save us from having double lives. God save us from having a secret life of unfaithfulness. Our lives should line up with the gospel. We should live gospel lives. And Philip, he was such a man that the Lord could use. But it wasn't because of Philip, you know. 
It wasn't because of anything that I've ever done that I was able to lead someone to Christ. It wasn't anything that you've ever done, but God uses us. But our lives have to line up with the gospel. We should walk even as Christ walked. And God will use you, brother or sister, young or old, God can use us to preach the gospel and in spite of us, can use, use us to, to bring others to faith in Jesus Christ. It's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Beth told me a story about her brother-in-law who passed away, and he went out on visitation one time with a man from church. He sat with that man in a home. They, they were knocking on doors, and they were invited in, and he watched this man from church just explain God's simple plan of salvation and show those people how they could trust Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And he watched as they agreed that this was what they needed and that they would like to be saved. And so he led them to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and to receive him. And they left the home, and Beth told me that Dave said to this man, do you know what you have done? And uh, that man said, well, why don't you tell me about it? He said, that was amazing, and said something to that effect. That was amazing to watch somebody get saved right before my very eyes. And then after that, Dave became zealous about trying to preach the gospel to anybody that would listen. That was his testimony. Once you get a hold of that, then it's the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life outside of trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, is allowing the Lord to use me to just be a vessel, just to carry the water of life and pour it out for somebody else and to watch somebody get saved. I heard somebody say one time, you saved me, and no, I didn't. No, I did not. I can't save anybody, but it's the power of the gospel. Amen. Amen. And he'll use us. He'll use us. And now look what happened. People were hearing and seeing the miracles which Philip did. He had signs accompanying his ministry for unclean spirits. Those are devils. Crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame and were healed. So there were devils cast out. There were actual verifiable healings that took place. In Samaria. And again, as I said, Samaria, they were Jews. The Bible, as we've studied, tells us that the Jews require a sign. Jesus said to people one time, you will not believe except you see a sign. He said that to the Jews. He knew it. You won't believe unless you see a sign. And he started to get angry with them about it because he showed them all kinds of signs. And they still, a lot of them still weren't believing. Some of them did. And he started to get angry with them about it. But the Jews require a sign. And these Samaritan half-breed Jews, God gave them signs and they were converted. Verse 8, there was great joy in the city because of all of this. And there was a certain man called Simon. So what we've seen is, There have been some true conversions. People who were healed and then as a result, people who believed and great joy and so on and so forth. A great revival going on. But then for some reason, the Holy Spirit really 
focuses on this one man called Simon. This is the Simon Magus or Magus of church history. If you look him up, you'll read about him in church history and in church tradition. And uh, according to early Christian writings, they say of this man that this was not a true conversion. We're going to try to decide tonight whether or not it was a true conversion here with Simon. Well, a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. So he was into uh, witchcraft and all kinds of devilment. And he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. And so they call him Simon Mag- Magus, or Mag- I don't know how you pronounce it, but I know this. It is a M-A-G, whether you're in English or you're in uh, Greek. And that word simply means power, like, like a, a mega thing. Something that's mega. It means power. And so they're saying Simon was this man that the people thought was the great power of God at the end of verse 10. He had everybody fooled. He, used, he was kind of like a, a con artist, like a quack. But he used hypnotism, they say. Hypnotism. He used uh, sorcery and different kind of uh, drugs to do what he did and to get in touch with the spirits that he was into. He, he probably used levitation. Do you know that that stuff's real? I believe in that. I believe it's of the devil, but I believe levitation is real. I've heard of people. I've heard of accounts of it. I've heard of witch doctors in Africa. One man in particular, Olu, that I sat in classes with down at uh, the Stephen Olford Institute for Biblical Preaching, there in Memphis, Tennessee, and this man Olu beside us told us stories about his own country and the witch doctors and some of the things that they were able to do with the power of darkness, with satanic power. I've watched people hypnotize other people and make them do anything that they wanted them to do. They were in their hands like puppets on a string. Hypnotists have great power. This man was doing things like this, and he was a quack, but he had everybody fooled. And they thought he was the great power of God. Well, he saw somebody that was more powerful than him. He saw this spirit-filled evangelist with the sign gifts that were given to the Jews. And he saw him doing these things. And to him they had regard, verse 11 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip... Now these are all these people that were following Simon at one point. Now they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. All right, this is a side note, but we'll come back to it. Okay, so these people, they heard Philip preach, right? Okay, after hearing the preaching, they believed, right? Okay, so far so good. That's how you get saved. After hearing the preaching, they believed. And then after they believed... They were baptized. You see that? Okay, that's right. So far, so good. That's the order in the Bible. If you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven when you die, you've got to hear the gospel preached. Then you have to respond with repentance and faith. That's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then baptism is not a part of your salvation, but that's what we do after we believe. Amen? We follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Okay? Keep that 
on like a side burner, okay? Let's keep going. So both men and women were doing that. Then Simon, he's looking at this and he's thinking, man, this guy is something else. I got competition. But it says that Simon himself believed also. Okay, so we're trying to decide whether uh, this is a true or false conversion. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip. Well, it looks pretty good so far because I think if somebody really gets saved, now this is just me personally, but if somebody really gets saved, they'll stick around with the preacher. They'll, they'll, they'll keep coming back to church to get more. They take an interest in the Word of God, and when I see that, I think there's something real that has happened here. I've seen some great, high-powered evangelists come in and really just really preach the Word, you know, and just dazzle the people, stun the people. People are amazed. People sit there and say, He is awesome. I've seen that happen, and I've seen people come forward and make a decision that I think is half-hearted, and uh, maybe they're pressured by their friends or something like that. They come forward and make a decision, and then after that revival meeting, you never see them or hear from them again. You go to try to knock on their door. Hey, we're so glad you came to our church uh, revival and so on and so forth. Saw you came up to the altar and you trusted Jesus as your Savior, and they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to come to your church. And then I think, well, maybe, maybe they just, you know, somebody else in the family goes to a different church, and they just want to go to church with them, and maybe that's the case. But then you come to find out later on, small town, you kind of know everybody's business, they're not interested in the things of God at all. As a matter of fact, they're living like the devil. Not making a judgment, right? But I'm just looking at it, being a fruit inspector and thinking, I, don't, I think that was kind of sloppy evangelism or something. I don't think that was a true conversion, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. But trying to determine who's a false and a true convert. Now, this much is, is true. A person can be truly saved, truly converted to Jesus Christ and still struggle with old habits. That is true. Uh, but, but there will be a change of life. There's a change of life somewhere. At some, you know, and if there's not a change, I don't think it's a real conversion. And when I see people in the Bible get saved, there's dramatic changes. Um, but yes, we all struggle with sin. The Apostle John, he said that. He said to believers, if we say that we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. You know? So John said, if you're, if you're not admitting that you have sin, it's, you're a liar. You're not even a Christian. You're not even saved. So the Apostle John, writing to believers, said that we, we know that we have sin, and if we, conf- if we commit sin, then we can confess it, and so on and so forth. But what I'm saying is, this man here, he, he seems all right up front, doesn't he? He's following along with the preacher, going to the other meetings and stuff like that. But he's wondering at him. You see that in verse 13? He's wondering. He's beholding the miracles. And he's thinking, man, this is really something. This guy is amazing. And he's seeing the signs which were done. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So for a time now, the Holy Spirit moves on with the account. And the apostles in Jerusalem, remember, they stayed back there with the persecution they're hearing about what's happening in Samaria, that they're receiving the word of God, so they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, who's that? 
Who's Peter and John? Well, they're, they're two of the inner three. Remember? Peter, James, and John. You had the twelve disciples who became apostles. One of them was a traitor. He was replaced by Matthias. But of those twelve, you had three that were closer to the Lord. Remember when the Lord took them to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Lord began, began to be heavy and they could tell he was burdened and weighed down with something he was concerned with and he took all of them in there and he had them all sit down but then he took three of them and he said, Peter, James, John, you come with me. He took three of them and went a little bit further, right? And then he sat the three down and he said, I'm going to pray. And then he says to the three, watch and pray. So he wanted them to hold him up in prayer as well. And he goes by himself to pray, right? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Did all 12 of the disciples go up to the top? No. And then there was one who seemed to be closer than all of them, the Apostle John. He seemed to be the closest. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But here he has these two men really close, Peter and John, And when they heard about what was happening in Samaria, their hearing of this great revival, verse 15, who when they were come down, so they came down to Samaria. Now you said, you say in your your heart, I thought you said that they went north to Samaria. How are they coming down? Well, whenever you read about somebody either going to Jerusalem or leaving the city of Jerusalem, it either says that they're going up to Jerusalem or they're coming down from Jerusalem. And it's talking about elevation. It's a city on a hill. So no matter where you go or which direction you're coming from, you're either going up to the city or going down from the city. So he's going, they're going down and they're going to Samaria. And when they were come down, look what they did. They prayed for the converts that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, wait a minute. That's different. If you're paying attention to our study in the book of Acts, that's different. Like I said, it's a transitional book. Hold your place there. Well, look at verse 16. For as yet he was fallen, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it, but a he. There are three persons, three members of the Trinity. And like they say, I like this. Uh, to explain the Trinity, three, three in one. God is one, but He's three persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, and the one in the middle died for me. <laughs> Amen? The one in the middle died for me. Well, the Holy Spirit, He was not fallen upon them, and only they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So, what's going on here? Look back at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we read about believers who repented and were baptized, and Peter said, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he testified all those things and said, Save yourself from this crooked generation, the Jews that crucified Jesus. So they received the word in verse 41. They were baptized, 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So it says there that repent, be baptized, and then you'll receive the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't say anything about laying on hands. Now look at Acts chapter 10. If we don't add anything to the Word of God, it just looks simply like Peter said, if you're baptized, you will receive the Holy Ghost. We don't add anything to it. That's what it said there. Go to Acts chapter 10. And here we find people receiving the Holy Ghost in a different order. So what we end up coming up with is three different orders of how this thing happened. So Acts chapter 10, we see the preaching of Peter to the Gentiles. And uh, starting in verse 24, he went to Caesarea to Cornelius' house. And he preached to these Gentiles. And he didn't even want to go. But the Lord talked him into it. And then in verse... uh, 43, we're coming to the end of Peter's message there. He's preaching to him, gave all the prophets witness that through this, through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission or forgiveness of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, he's just preaching. He didn't even give an invitation or an altar call or anything. He just said, while he spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, saying that the Holy Ghost was poured out on on the Gentiles as well. And they even heard them speak in tongues, verse 46. So they didn't have to repent and then be baptized before they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit as they believed the word when it was preached. That's a different order, right? And then back in Acts chapter 8, They believed, the Bible says they did, they believed, so we have the Holy Spirit's account on what happened, but the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. What's going on? Why? Do we have to have a preacher put his hands on us, lay hands on us for us to receive the Holy Ghost? The answer to that question is no. No, we don't. This is the the one time that this happens like this, and there's a reason for it. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 16 real quick? Uh, Matthew 16, excuse me. What Peter was doing was Peter was coming up from Jerusalem and he was using the keys to the kingdom uh, because Peter was given the keys. He came up with John and, and what he was doing was he was opening up the door of the gospel to Samaria. And there are some reasons for that that we draw from that. But Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, there's a reason why Peter had to come up before the Holy Spirit would let them uh, be baptized into the body of Christ, the spiritual baptism. Uh, Verse 18 of Matthew 16, um, the Lord is saying to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I, you know what, sometimes I just like to to read the Bible and not think about all the baggage from church history, don't you? Forget about what it meant to the Catholics and what it means to us and all that kind of stuff. Just to read that, man. To think, you know, imagine yourself being Peter and the Lord's looking at you. 
and talking to you like that and then saying, my church, nothing's going to stop my church. My church will go on all the way to the end till I come back. <clears throat> In verse 19, And I will give unto thee, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. Now, he's using thee, which is singular. Remember, we studied that. I like the ye's in the Bible, in the King James Bible, because ye tells me when he's talking plural. If it's a T word, a T pronoun, we know it's singular. So he's just talking to Peter. I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. And you can bind and you can loose. And you know what he did with the keys of the kingdom? The Holy Spirit had him go up to Samaria, the cardinal direction of up, and go up there and pray for them. In verse 17 of Acts chapter 8, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. This is what we can draw from this. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, right? They'd covered that so far. Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what Jesus was doing is he was showing them that the, the door of the gospel now has been opened up to the Samaritans. The Samaritans, as I said, were half-breed Jews. Uh, that sounds like a rough description, doesn't it? But that's the way they described them. They, they were uh, prejudiced against them, the, the full-blood Jews down in Jerusalem. Because the, the Samaritans, what they were is when Assyria came in from the north, 721 B.C., and conquered northern Israel, they, they took the Jews and carried them away captive, and they replaced them with colonists. So they would take Gentiles from surrounding countries that they had conquered, and they would bring them in as immigrants to migrate into northern Israel to be colonists and to mix with the Jews. You say, why were they trying to do that? To erase their identity and erase their nation and their culture and everything to basically cover them up with the dirt. They wanted to get rid of them. That's what they did. And so what you had was you had these Gentiles coming in and you had some Jews left over and they intermarried and they converted to Judaism or to, to, to the Jewish religion and they had their own place where they would worship. They worshiped on Mount Gerizim. They wouldn't come down to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. So there was just this fight between them. And the people in Jerusalem that worshipped at the temple did not like the Samaritans that worshipped at Mount Gerizim. And you remember that lady at the well that Jesus was talking to and he was dealing with her and he started cutting pretty close with the sword of the word of God and got her under conviction about her marriages. And then she started getting religious on him and wanted to talk about where we worship and stuff like that. And she said, we worship up on a mountain. She's talking about Mount Gerizim. And you worship down there in the city of Jerusalem at the temple. And Jesus said to her, he said salvation is of the Jews, but he said there's coming a day the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, and it won't be up on the mountain or down here. It'll be worldwide is what he was saying to her. And Jesus went to this Samaritan woman. And when the disciples... They went away to go get food and things. They came back and they saw Jesus talking to this woman. They were like, what are you doing talking to, first of all, a woman, second of all, a Samaritan? And they, they, they didn't like this too much. 
The Lord had to deal with Peter just to get him to go preach to a Gentile. And the Lord had to show the Jews in Jerusalem that Samaria and the believers there were just as much a part of the church and the body of Christ as the believers in Jerusalem. I think if this had not happened, there would have been like a rival church in Samaria. There would have been a conflict and the Lord just removed the conflict by having Peter himself, Peter, go up put his hands on them before they would receive the Holy Ghost, and then everybody could see it. Did you hear Peter? He put his hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. They're Christians just like us, those Samaritans. God is breaking down barriers. I believe that's what you have right there. That's why that's the only time it happens like that. So they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that, now the Holy Spirit comes back to Simon He saw that, the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. And he thought, man, I want that power in my hands, you know. So what did he do? He offered him money. That's where we get the title uh, or the word simony. Simony is where you try to buy a church office. That thing happened all the time in church history. Men who had no business being a bishop in the state churches but they had the money and they would buy that office and become bishops in the state churches, not even being saved, not even being Christians. That stuff went on all the time in church history. And probably today the modern counterpart of that in Baptist churches is when a man gets the office of a deacon and is elected as a deacon in a church and he really has no business doing it, but he gets it because he's wealthy and influential and he's a part of the, he's a part of the, the, the good the good old boy club. So he gets promoted to deacon and he doesn't meet the spiritual qualifications at all. But hey man, we want him in here. We want that money and that tithe. And there's things we could do around that church if we had men like him. That's the modern counterpart of simony. Trying to buy the gift of God. And when Peter heard that, look what he did. He rebuked him. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Now, if somebody said that to you, what would you think? I mean, somebody of Peter's stature. Peter said to you, you go to hell with your money. Excuse me for being so plain. That's what he said. Thy money perish with thee. I would think that preacher just told me I'm, I'm going to H-E-double-L. And he says, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money... Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So what do you think? Do you think Simon was a true convert or a false convert? Early church history, they said that he wasn't truly converted, that he was a false convert. But here's the deal. Peter said to him, repent, so there was hope for him. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, is it possible for a Christian to be in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity? They say the bitterness refers to his false teaching. You can compare that if you wanted to with Deuteronomy 29.18. That referred to Simon's apostasy and his idolatry and his false teaching. But I think a Christian can be in the bond of iniquity. But when he said, 
your money perish with you. That's pretty, pretty strong language. Then answered Simon, and Simon's scared, obviously, by what he said. And Simon says, verse 24, Pray ye to the Lord for me. Peter, pray for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Let me warn you tonight, you can fool the preacher You might be able to fool the church and become a member here. But God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And none of us have the power to look at you and say, you're on your way to a devil's hell. If you've made a profession of faith and you say you believe, none of us has the power and the authority. I can't can't see your heart. Only God can do that. But the Bible does say, examine yourself. To see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself. What are your motives? If your motive is simply this. Hey man, I was a sinner. I was lost and undone. And I heard the gospel. I heard that God loved me. And God would forgive all the things that I did and said. And, and I just trusted Jesus Christ. I don't know a whole lot. But I know Jesus is my Savior. He's my only hope. And if I don't make it to heaven trusting Jesus, I guess I'm not going to make it. If that's all your testimony is, hey, that's good. That's good. I'm trusting Jesus. That's good. But here's, here's the deal. This is what I think about this. We'll, we'll close right here. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. When Simon believed, now he hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, right? So the Bible doesn't tell us that when Peter and, James, or Peter and John came... The the Bible doesn't tell us that they laid hands on Simon too, but it does say that they laid hands on all who believe. So we kind of assume that they laid hands on Simon as well. So here's the deal. If when they laid hands on Simon, he received the Holy Ghost, he's saved. Based on Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And if he didn't receive the Holy Ghost, then he wasn't saved. But even then, Peter said, repent, and perhaps God will forgive this. And Simon, he wanted to repent. He said, pray that, that those things don't happen to me. Of course, Simon didn't understand. He's, he's thinking, you know, you've got to go through a man and stuff like that. But, but he obviously was shook up by it. But here's the deal, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If you want to know if you're a true or false convert or if somebody else is that you know, here's the... Sort of the acid test in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if on that day, Peter and John laid hands on Simon, and Simon received the Holy Spirit, then he was saved. And if you tonight have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, And God's Spirit bears witness with your spirit. That's one of the ways that you can have assurance of salvation. doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect or that you won't sin, but it means that you can pray and you can say to God, God, I pray that your spirit would bear witness with my spirit and that you would give me assurance of my salvation. 
And for us, uh, beloved, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment that we believe. Romans chapter 6. The Holy Spirit comes in to take up residence, and he becomes a permanent uh, resident of our bodies. And he wants control of our bodies, right? And I'll just say to you this. You know, the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with our spirit. And you say, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. Well, pray. Pray. No man can tell you. There's only three people that knows for sure if you're saved. You, because you can know. God and the devil. Only three people that knows for sure if you're saved. God can look down and say, save, 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 lost. Save, save, lost, lost. Save, 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 save. God can do that. I can't. I can't. But I know this. I serve a living Savior. I serve a God who can do this. And he gave me assurance one time. If you lack assurance, it's probably because of willful sin in your life. If, it, if you don't like it and it makes you happy, repent of it. Get your heart and life right with God and say, God, please give me assurance. And help me, help me to get busy trying to bring somebody else home to heaven with me, okay? Let's go ahead and stand and bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed at the close of this prayer. I would never want to try to talk anybody out of their salvation. I don't think it's right to do that. But the Bible does say examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Maybe you had the wrong motives at first. Uh, At first when you trusted Christ, you you just went forward because your friend did or you... You, you did it because you got tired of people, you know, mom and dad trying to ask you and pressure you into getting saved, so you finally just did it. You just went through the motions, and your heart wasn't right. I don't know what it might be. I know this, though. You can get it settled right now. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight for the Word of God. I thank you for this account of this great revival in Samaria, Lord, and we want to see something like that yeah. right here. And God, I pray that you'd fill us with the Spirit. God, I pray that you'd help us to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd help us. That in being filled with the Spirit, we would have that boldness. And then have the words to say at the right time. And Lord, I pray for, uh, if there's anyone in here tonight that's not yet saved, that God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they stop and pull me aside and Say, I want to get it settled. And, and Lord, I, I pray that if there's one in here tonight, like me, uh, years ago, just struggling with assurance of salvation, God, I pray that they would know that you are able to bear witness with their spirit and assure their hearts that they're saved and they have eternal life. God, if there be one in here tonight that maybe made a false profession and they really didn't mean business and... They didn't have the right motive, doing it for one reason or another. But I pray tonight would be the night that they just get it settled so they know that they know that they know. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.